When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Russell Podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Berry, and my guest today is Matt Michaels of Vegas Bad Boys Podcasting. How you doing, Matt? Doing good, Vin. Doing good. Uh, you know, it's uh, been a long uh, couple of days, uh, the last few days, and, uh, you know, just trying to, uh, to find a little... Uh, motivation to uh, get happy again man yeah yeah a lot of wrestling's been going on a lot of wrestling news wanted to bring you on because august 23rd and august 24th of of this year um, we lost two heavy hitters in professional wrestling uh, terry funk and bray wyatt now of course this past year we've lost a, a a lot of great wrestlers and and uh you know our our thoughts and our our prayers are with their family um Wanted to kind of reflect on the careers of Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt a little bit. Uh, what what are, what is your what are your thoughts and memories of uh, Terry Funk? Well, I think uh, Terry. First off, uh, for anyone who's ever met him, um, I think everyone says the same thing. He is a guy who was one of the most soft-spoken people. Um, and one of the nicest people, um, you look at that body of work and how, you know, psychotic of a performer he was. And then you look at the person behind it and you would never be able to recognize the, you know, the two if they were in the same room. Um, and that, that was one of the, uh, things about Terry Funk is that he was not someone who was standoffish. He was someone that a lot of the, um, the younger wrestlers, the independent wrestlers, people who came in contact with Terry Funk, uh, were able to actually have knowledgeable conversations with him, pick his brain, um, he he was one of those guys who gave back um and had no problem doing it and you know at the same time was wrestling into his 70s which is a remarkable thing in itself uh for someone who 
really relied on, uh, I think past the age of, uh, 40, that style of hardcore, more brawling, um, to just, you know, to put your body through stuff like that when you're in your 50s, 60s, and 70s is just remarkable. Um, and, um, you know, it's when, when you're a kid and the first time I really, I saw footage of him, uh, you know, the, the old footage of the seventies was on film and they would show those on the, um, on the weekly shows, you know, like the NWA type shows that were from around the country they'd go into the vaults every once in a while. And so you kind of got an idea of who Terry Funk was, but it seemed so far away because it was so different um, being on film as compared to, you know, a video. And then he showed up in the WWF and it was magical how you could have a guy like Jimmy Hart be his mouthpiece and Jimmy Hart embodied everything that WWF was in terms of the characters being big and over the top. So Terry didn't have to compromise his character and could speak that soft Terry Funk, you know, uh, menacing type talk and deliver in the ring and be the performer he is but not have to, you know, put on pink or uh, yellow polka dots. And, you know, he wasn't made into a joke where, um, you know, I think Vince respected him enough uh, not to really mess with that character. So as a kid, it, you know, nothing better than seeing a cowboy with a Brandon iron and, uh, you know, it's just, just so much fun to – to see uh, something you're not used to, especially in that time, going against a guy like Hogan. You know, sometimes the best uh, the best foes are the ones that you want to root for. And, you know, Terry Funko is definitely a guy that you, you kind of just go, well, you know, I know I'm not supposed to like him, but, you know, I kind of like this guy. Right, right. You know what, what's interesting about me, it, and and this has been with several wrestlers, you know, especially the heels. You know, if I have like a like, man, I don't like that guy, or da da da. You know, it's almost like that love hate, right? I mean, the reason why I don't like him is because he's so good at being bad, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And and he was he was the type of guy for that. I didn't I didn't get to see a lot of his early work. I I saw uh, a lot of his later years when he started doing the harder style and and uh, about 15 years ago I had the opportunity to see the match where he won the title off of Jack Briscoe and you talk about a wrestling clinic man I mean it was exciting it was wrestling to the nth degree. And uh, what a contrast to his style then to the style that, you know, he's done in his his later career. 
uh, the latter part of his career. So, you know, it's um, he really was the full package, but he also, as wrestlers, successful wrestlers, and, and he had a 52-year career, he evolved. And, yeah, and you know, you, you have to, you you have to, and um, and one of the reasons that you have to do that is because of the fact that the business over that time period, um, you know, constantly changing, and we're not just talking about small changes; we're talking about you know territories, um, and we're you know growing into national companies. Um, finding the success in Japan, um, you know, he's one of the earlier guys to do it. Um, and, you know, there, I think guys like, like Brody, Bruiser Brody and, uh, Abdullah and the guys who had that hardcore style, that mentality, they could go over to Japan and make a lot of money because those types of characters did not exist over there. And so the people really bought into these guys as real. And, it, you know, it was something else. And I think the crazier it got where, you know, all of a sudden you're it's, – it's not that you're – you know, ripping into your opponent, you know, with a fork or your, uh, you know, foreign object or something like that. It's literally, you know, you're brawling into the stands and, and you know, fans have never seen that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and then you get to these death matches, which um, for what they were in the mid-90s was innovative, was new, was insane. Um, but at the same time, what did we do? We took that and now it's commonplace. And I think that the difference now is that you watch some of these, um, these death matches and they're just bloodbaths. There's no real storytelling to them. There's no point to them, but go back and watch Terry Funk wrestle in one of those. And the, biggest key to him is he's still doing what he did in regular wrestling matches and that is look at his face look at the the pauses he takes look at the moments he takes for you as a fan to embrace what exactly that pain is there was no one better at making that sad awful face of pain than terry funk Right. And that, you know, that's the difference between storytelling and putting on a show and being able to save yourself a little bit when you're in a match like that, uh, as compared to just, you know, all out. Just, I think people nowadays, it's the, just the visual of the mass of blood. But with him, there might have been some blood. But Funk also wasn't um he wasn't a huge bleeder. I mean, Flair bled more than him, you know. Um it it really was that it that painful look that, you know, Terry had where, you know, you could throw him down on thumbtacks and whereas one guy 
will have the thumbtacks in his back and will, you know, it, it will give you the visual. It'd be like with Terry, like he fell on a bed of nails. Yeah, like you it know? was killing him. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. have you have you ever seen the uh, empty arena match with him and Jerry Lawler? Yeah. With, with the pencil? Yeah. yeah. He broke my eye out. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that, but that's, that's, that's it. That's the whole thing. Um, that is the difference, I think, between someone who can take something as stupid as a pencil and literally do two things with it. One, make it ridiculously funny for the, the viewer who will find that hysterical. And number two, make it ridiculously painful for the person watching it as well because you know it's goofy, you know it's stupid, you know that it's a work, but at the same time, there's that thought of something like that. That's painful. It's, you know, yeah. it's it's real. It's real. And that's the difference uh, with him. He, everything he did, it felt real. Um and I think one of the, one of the keys to him was the fact that he was so soft spoken that it wasn't the over the top that you were getting with a lot of the guys. It was, you know, listening to this guy, you really kind of had to focus. Like you know, Jake Roberts, you always with Jake the Snake, it was always well, you know, his whole thing is he talks very. Um, you know, very low and very directive and, you know, cynical and sinister. And with Terry, he did the same thing, but in a a very, um, almost like a, a, like a very gentle way. You know, he wasn't pointing to his stuff. It wasn't like, you know, I'm going to kill you. Uh, this is, no, it was, it was very much, you know, I'm very sorry I'm going to have to do this, but in the end, it's either you're going to die or I'm going to die, and I don't want to die. And it's like, that works. Like, that thing works. Right, right. Hey, uh, definitely room for, uh, argument for, for him being a wrestler on the, uh, wrestling Mount Rushmore, right? Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely, um, there absolutely is. And the, I think you could easily go with, uh, Funk, uh, you could go with Dusty, you could go with Flair, and you could go with Harley Race, right? That, that would be a four route, Mount Rushmore of that time period easily. So I think he can fit in with no problem into that eras. Um, and then you could also, you know, uh, I mean, if you look at the overall, um, there's always such a, a big difference between The Rock and Terry Funk, right? Or a Hogan and Funk, or, you know, you, you look at the different generations. And it's hard to say, you know, it, it's it's so much more, your personal view because John Cena and Terry Funk 
totally different opposites of the eras in which they wrestle, let's say. But if you condense it down to how could you not put Cactus Jack and Terry Funk, uh, you know, in, in a hardcore Mount Rushmore, right? So he fits in a couple different ways into being that kind of legendary wrestler, which I think that's what makes him legendary. And it shows that adjustment um, that he, you know, adapted throughout the years that he could be considered on different types of route, Mount Rushmore's throughout the years. Another big loss that we had uh, in the month of August, uh, August 24th, Bray Wyatt, the day after Terry Funk. I think the contrast here is, you know, Terry Funk was 79 years old and Bray Wyatt was 36. The shock of uh, someone at the age of 36 passing away uh, in itself is always kind of, you know, just just putting your head around it. Um, but the fact that he had uh, young kids and, you know, uh, a young, you know, wife, uh, that is the most um, just upsetting thing, you know. Um, it's, yeah, he, he was, his, his brilliance was taken away from the wrestling industry, but the person was taken away from his family. And I think that that is something, you know, the difference between the two is Terry Funk at that point was, you know, battling Alzheimer's and, um, you know, uh, was not physically, you know, in in shape. And he was a 79-year-old man at that point, whereas Bray was just a young guy. Um, and you have to give him credit for... Again, Terry reinvented himself over five decades. Bray re- reinvented himself over the course of like one decade, many times, <laughs> um, which is one of the hardest things to do uh, and stay relevant. And if you think of where he came in being Husky Harris, um, which I still think is one of those gimmicks that Vince had obviously known him since he was a kid and knew that he was, you know, probably a chubby kid and he was a fat guy. So I'm going to literally call your character Husky, which is totally something that sounds like a Vince rib. And it shouldn't have worked. And ultimately, it didn't work because the character wasn't fleshed out. But, you know, when you flesh it out, um, the the idea that this guy was someone that you kind of started liking, it wasn't because of the character. It was because it was who Bray was. And that personality shined through. So... When he went down and, you know, these are the beginnings of NXT, he now was able to hook up with Dusty Rhodes. 
And if you think about his creativity and Dusty's creativity together, that's, I think, where it starts, you know, um, just given that opportunity to look at um, a character that was off the beaten path, you know, was was someone who was a little more maniacal, was someone who fans could get behind, but again, that idea that, well, he is supposed to be a bad guy, <laughs> you know, he's like, right. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't like this guy, right? I shouldn't be friends with him. In real life, I would not, you know, hang out with that type of person, right? Or would I, you know, because he is kind of cool and he is kind of different. And what he does have to say, I kind of agree with. So I think that, you know, ultimately he was put in a good position to successfully in an era where everything was um, absolutely in that light of um, kind of that scene mold of, uh, you know, the, the, the good guy, you know, you know, Vince was pushing that, that good guy. Um, there was a huge majority of fans who wanted to see the bad guys. You know, he, he wanted to see Cena get his ass kicked by someone like this. So it kind of just kind of fell into place the right time, the right creativity. Um, but then it evolved into something that was even crazier. And that was taking something that was successful, making it disappear, and then all of a sudden, four years ago, you start seeing these vignettes with puppets and kid show things, and it's like, what is going on? And now he's a kid show host. And he had that personality that he was able to pull that off, and it was so entertaining. You, you say kid show, it, it, it had a, what, kind of had like a, uh, Mr. Rogers, uh, Pee Wee's Fun House kind of. Yeah, it was Pee Wee, Pee Wee's Fun yeah. House. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> kind of spin to it, right? With, you know, with a dash of Stephen King, you know, it's like. <laughs> right. And, and that's, and that's what's, and that's what worked because if you would have just relaunched it and it was just the fiend, I don't think it would have been an impactful thing because the fiend didn't say anything. You know, it was just, there, would, there wouldn't have been anywhere to go with it other than him just showing up in the, in the mask and, you know, taking someone out. And eventually, and I think, you know, a lot of people complained over the years, too, that one of the problems was, you know, the Fiend did have to lose. It couldn't be an invincible character. And so if you didn't have that, Funhouse, there's no reason that the relevancy of the theme character happens. Otherwise, it's just a cool character. You know, it's just like it looks good. And I think that's that's a huge thing. Um, 
I think the pinnacle of what he did was the um the match with Cena uh that was the filmed match during the pandemic at WrestleMania um because that allowed them to ultimately do what he was best at and that was just this cinematic world of craziness and ideas and it was almost like uh putting John Cena through the Twilight Zone, right? Where all these scenarios were happening to this guy. That doesn't happen in a wrestling match. But they were able to do that. And that still is one of the most fascinating things. If you, you know, if you look back 20 years from now, I think you're going to look at that match as just kind of that pinnacle of what can be done when you think outside of the box and you're not just thinking between the ropes. And that's one of the things that, you know, he ultimately did and brought into the industry at a, a very successful level. Absolutely. And and one thing that, you know, when I think about him and, and when you you said earlier, you know, hey, th- this is a bad guy, right? The the entrance with the fireflies. I mean, yeah. how how incredible was that? When when you think, okay, so he was wrestling Dean Ambrose down here in our area, and uh, I talked my wife into going with me. Not a wrestling fan at all, and uh, when. He came out, uh, she was like, in awe, you know, like, wow, what, what's going on here, you know, and, right. and I tried to explain to her in the time that he's coming to the ring what was going on, and she was like, well, we gotta, we gotta get our phones out too. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, to me, I mean, that guy was over like Red Rover, man. I mean, well, there's there is something that we've been talking about on our show that um, idea of right now L.A. Knight. Oh, he's so over. He needs to get pushed. Blah 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 blah. Well, there's one thing that I think wrestling fans are kind of dumb to, and that is wrestling fans really seem to like people when. That person, that character, gives a wrestling fan something to do, right? L.A. Knight is over as hell. Why? Because everyone can say yeah. Very simple. He's great. It it takes a great character or a great person to do that character, right? But the simple fact is the what with Austin, that got over. Why? Because it's something the fans can do. If you look at Fozzie right now playing uh, Wembley, you know, with Jericho coming down, why do they do that? Because the fans sing along with the song every time he comes out. Right. So the Fireflies, it it worked because that idea of the fans seeing it once and seeing it live, you know, if you're live, you get that, like, oh, oh, I, I can do that. Oh, sure, cool. 
all right, man, I'm part of this now. And I think that's the thing about wrestling. If you feel like you're part of it, then the fan has now elevated the, you know, the experience has been elevated for the fan. And I think that's huge. And if you are not creative, if you're not good at what you do, then that's not going to catch on. But if you are, then you essentially have it made because the fan will stay with you for the rest of your career. Yeah. What's going to be the the one memory you're going to take of Bray and his career? Um, I really think that um, it becomes an unfortunate thing. I think that the image they used on SmackDown of the uh, rocking chair in a single light um, just kind of sums up everything because it's reflective of who the character was. It's reflective of the loss, you know, the emptiness. Um, there's untapped potential on what could have been for another 10, 15 years. Um, so I think it's, it really is kind of, uh, not necessarily the standout memory of what was, but what could have been. Right. Right. And both wrestlers we talked about, you know, second and third generation wrestlers, you know, and, uh, you know, I've always, always thought that those guys were a little different, you know. Well, you know, guys that have grew up in wrestling, yeah. wrestling homes, and, you know, they probably had their very first match, you know, with Barry Windham on the living room floor at Thanksgiving, you know? As, yeah. No, you know, that's and that's something that um, I think when you look at the, the generation that Funk came up in, um, you know, you got to remember at that time when he was growing up, it was all kayfabe. You know, it was all real. Um, so he grew up in an era in which he could bring his creativity to the realism and really make you believe that he was, you know, a, a very very, um, you know, tough, real, gritty guy, um, which was, you know, also, you know, something that was in him, a tough Texan, you know. Um, whereas I think Bray, <clears throat> you know, he he was he was around an era as a kid in which his dad was playing a tax agent. You know, just totally opposite of, you know, the idea of everything's kayfabe. This is, like, literally all character. Mike Rotundo was a great wrestler. with Phenomenal. Yeah, with really not much going on uh, other than being in a varsity club. <laughs> it's like, and then 
he goes back to WWE and they give him this gimmick. And to this day, he still shows up backstage in segments um, every now and then as IRS. And it overshadows what he did in the ring because it's a memorable character. As goofy as it sounds, a tax agent actually um, actually made him that much more memorable for the rest of his career. And let's let's face it, there's no legends line for him if he doesn't become IRS. You know that is a sellable thing still today because it's it's memorable. Fans remember it. So that's. It's it's just interesting that Bray grew up around that. He grew up around the idea notion of um, what you could do with the character as as opposed to just the wrestling. You know, even The Rock. Look at The Rock. Rocky Johnson was a, a, a phenomenal wrestler, and if you look at, you know, what The Rock did, he had to find his own persona that wasn't just that, you know, old, you know, stick-to-your-guns wrestling. And I think a lot of these second-generation guys or third-generation guys are the ones who have now changed the game completely. And you're going to see that happen with the next batch, you know, everything evolves. And I think that both of those guys, the one thing that they both contributed is they've evolved the industry, um, you know, in their own ways that everyone is talking about them and remembering them. Um, and, you know, you, you, you're you not going to see that for a lot of people. Um, and that's something that you really can't, you know, you can't put your finger on it, on why someone just impacts people like they do. But you know it when you see it. And I think that that's the thing that both of them, you know, were were fabulous at was doing things that just changed the way we looked at things from the perspective of wrestling fans. And ultimately that also means that other wrestlers who might be ten years old at the time when they're watching a Terry Funk in a you know Japan hardcore match, by the time that person turns twenty and they're starting to do it. One of the reasons they're doing it is because they saw that and they saw what this guy did. And now they're setting out to, you know, try their hat at it. And who knows what you can do and how you can influence future generations because of just simply one person watching you and going, hey, I like this. I can do this. This would be awesome. And then you, all of a sudden, 20 years later, have someone who's changed the industry.
Absolutely. Matt, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Very, very good conversation, very reflective. Thank you for coming on. Of course, man. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, the, I think the, the biggest thing now is that I think people need to um, just seriously go and go online, go to the network and check out all the matches, all the tributes that will be out there, um, all the podcasts with people talking about these guys because of the fact that it's available. And that's one thing that take advantage of it and enjoy these guys' performances because it's out there and you can see this. And this is their legacy now. Well, today we're going to close the show with a 10-bell salute in honor of Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt, uh, along with wrestlers that we have lost this year. You're listening to the Russellville Podcast, where wrestling lives.